Welcome to the Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 45. The highs and lows of quarantine life have been challenging and emotional. But one of the bright spots for my family is that we've all been taking voice lessons. As I've already mentioned a million times, I believe most things in life are skills. When talking about leadership, I teach that just like there are nine keys to shooting, there are nine keys to being a great leader that can be taught and practiced. And if you do these things consistently, you will be a good leader. And over the last few months, I put this theory to the test with singing. Most of us can easily see how ball handling and shooting are skills. But I do have a couple of naysayers that don't believe you can create leaders. They say that some of the soft skills can't be taught. And while this might be true, I personally have never experienced this. I've yet to find a player that hasn't improved on their leadership journey once they understand what leadership is, why they need to work on it, and then given the tools and consistent coaching. But singing! Now this is something that a lot of my friends and even my wife didn't believe is a skill. For the last 20 years, she's told me that people are either born able to sing or they can't. And she says she was proof of this. She explained that she practices all the time in the car and in the shower, and she's still horrible. So it took a lot of convincing that it wasn't wasting time and money to take voice lessons once a week. And now fast forward a couple months, and it's so awesome to see all our kids singing and playing musical instruments. My son Carter organized a concert for the 4th of July where each family member sang two of their favorite songs. And it was one of the coolest moments to hear my wife sing in front of everyone. She sounded so good. I couldn't be more proud of her. It's just another way to show our kids that you can do anything that you really want to if you have quality coaching and consistently put the time in. And those three elements are really important. Desire, coaching, and work seem like necessary ingredients to skill building. You see, we know it doesn't matter how much you practice if you're practicing the wrong thing. Spending 10,000 hours reinforcing bad shooting mechanics is not helpful. Yeah, my wife might have practiced 10,000 hours of singing up to this point, but she was practicing all the wrong things. It just goes to show how important quality coaching is. And we know desire is crucial because if you don't want to be a shooter or a leader or a singer, you'll probably never make it through the inevitable dip where life gets hard and you'll end up quitting before you really see improvement. Now, today's guest might have more desire than any other player I've ever coached. Laura Stockton played basketball at Gonzaga University, earning all league honors and ranking third in the program's history in career assists. Her senior year was going picture perfect, breaking multiple records, including having the best start and the highest national ranking in school history. Laura helped the Zags win another WCC championship, and the team was on their way to earning another tournament championship when her season ended all too soon with an ACL tear. And Laura was generous enough to share her story today in hopes that it would inspire other players who are going through difficult times and encourage them to never give up. Here's Laura Stockton. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. You know, it's been fun because I've known you since the day you were born and I got to coach you in college and I just get to see you grow, not just as a basketball player, but as a person. 
And so I'd love for you to share your basketball journey because you have kind of a unique one because it's not just your journey. You have a whole family full of basketball players. Yeah, basketball has been part of my life since I was born. You know, I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. My dad was playing for the Jazz. So for me, that was really cool to grow up in that environment while my dad was still playing. Just a really cool experience. And then just in general, playing basketball against my siblings and growing up in that environment, just super competitive all the time, whether that was in the driveway or in the backyard doing whatever just super scrappy, all of us. And I think it's definitely molded the way I play and have grown up. So tell me about the siblings. There's a lot of you and you're all college athletes. So give us the rundown. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm one of six. My oldest brother actually was a football player. So right off the jump, he kind of did something different. And so that was really awesome. He played at the University of Montana. And then um, I have two other brothers after that, David and Michael, both playing basketball in college and then now at the professional level. My sister, Lindsay, playing in college and then also at the professional level as well. Myself and then my little brother, Samuel, is now going to play college basketball at LC State. Cannot wait to watch him play because I've got to see him grow from this little skinny, small, smiley kid to every year getting tougher and tougher. And I think that's the quality of the Stocktons to look and see how tough you are and how you continue to improve. Even your brother Houston that played football in college is a really good basketball player and has gotten significantly better in the last 10 years. Why do you think that is? Why do you think you guys keep on getting better? Uh, I think, you know, all of us are just not afraid of a challenge. We're all underdogs a little bit, all a bunch of shorties, and we just love to compete. That's the best way I could say it. We love, love to compete, and we'll, we'll battle anybody. We'll battle each other, and we have fun doing it. Is that part of your DNA? Was that nature, or is that nurture, or was it a combination of the two? I would say it's a combination of the two. Obviously, our dad is as competitive as they get. And we grow up getting to see him play and have that kind of mentality. And so we've all just, but we've all just sort of modeled our play the way he has. And then as we've grown up, just it's either beat each other up or get beaten up. So it's just the way we've grown up. And is that outside the basketball court? So you guys are in the swimming pool. Are you competing in the swimming pool too? Or is there times where, you know, you're playing cards? Is it cutthroat too? Or Tell me about where the competitiveness starts and ends. It's everywhere. It, it never ends. It is literally anywhere. Cards is kind of funny because you wouldn't think that that would get too out of hand, but it totally does. We play chess, ping pong, pool, you name it. We love to just be doing stuff in general as a family, and we are too competitive for our own good sometimes. Well, you guys are kind enough. You have my whole family out every summer to you guys' this place out in Priest Lake. And even things that you wouldn't think could be competitive, like water skiing, like how do you compete at that? It's just you get pulled behind a boat. You guys actually have like a course that you do and it's how fast can you go through the course and how short is the rope? It's amazing to see, but it's also done in a lot of love and good fun. There's some mm-hmm. healthy trash talking in there. But when I think about your youngest brother, Sam, when I knew him when he was really young, I didn't know if he actually had the nature part of it necessarily because he's always seemed so happy-go-lucky. But then as I saw him through the high school years, it seems like he's kind of flipped the switch. Would you say that's true or do you think it was more of a nature for him? I would say that's true. When you have, again, five older siblings who are all crazy competitive, you just kind of have to be that way. And we've definitely played a lot of one-on-one, Samuel and I, and I've always had so much fun because I've usually been bigger and stronger than him. But now he's huge and he's just as competitive 
as I am. And it's not so fun for me anymore and a lot more fun for him, I would say. Well, that's not really fair for him because you have a superior strength conditioning coach that you're working with. (laughs) You know, he really didn't have a chance. So was basketball your only sport that you played growing up or did you have other things that you competed in? I played as many sports as my schedule would allow. I played softball, volleyball, soccer. I ran cross country, you name it. And then in high school, I had to kind of limit it down. The schedule gets busier. The more seriously you get into sports, just the more time it takes up. So I just did soccer and basketball in high school. And then obviously continued on with basketball. That's always been my main thing, the thing I've loved the most. And so we were lucky enough to get you at Gonzaga. What was that process like? What made you decide to stay in Spokane when you had options to play at a lot of different high-level schools? I think it's the coolest thing in the whole world to get to play for your hometown. For me, that was really, really cool to get to have my family in the stands every day. And not only that, I think Gonzaga just provided that family atmosphere that I've always loved, that I've literally grown up with. I'm a big family gal. So for me, that was really something I was looking for. And growing up in Spokane, you know how cool Gonzaga basketball is. You you can't miss it. And so how could you not want to be a part of that and get to play on the floor with that kind of fans and community support? The community support in Spokane is off the charts, literally off the charts. When you think about almost every home game is sold out. I mean, 6,000 fans and I had a huge aha moment where I was uh, with some high school boys, and this is when Courtney Vandersloot was playing. Mm-hmm. And I remember them bragging about Courtney, saying she could start on our men's team. And when I was growing up, I would have never believed that you would have high school boys that were more interested in Gonzaga women's or college women's basketball than men's basketball. And it's just so cool to see how our community has embraced the sport. I mean, what's that like playing in front of 6,000 crazy fans? There is nothing like it. And it's every single night, which is honestly the most impressive thing. And it's pretty funny too, because we'll get there and we start a warm up about like an hour or two before the game actually starts. And there's literally fans sitting in the seats waiting for us, wanting to give us hugs, um, just pregame talks. It's incredible. Yeah. And you guys do such a great job of engaging and caring about the fans. So they show up an hour before the game. But you guys aren't necessarily with your blinders on warming up. You guys will come over and give them a high five or give them a hug after every game. And you don't lose many, but even after the games you lose at home, you come out and you sign autographs for the kids and talk to people. Is that something that Coach Lisa talks to you guys about or is it just the heart of the players? Why is that so significant that you guys interact with the fans? I think you just got to love who loves you. And when someone shows you support, it's it's important that you're grateful for it. And it's important that you let them know that. And that continues that community feel and it keeps people coming back. It brings more people in. And that's definitely something Lisa has really made sure we knew that we needed to do. And it also speaks to the type of people that she recruits to the team in general. Um, It's just always been something super important to her because everybody's our family, the family atmosphere. Like I said, the fans are your family, your team is your family, all that kind of stuff. And I would consider more family because it's not just the home games. They travel. When we go to the WCC tournament, it's like a home game for us. There are thousands of fans that travel all the way down to Las Vegas to watch you play. So cool to see the support. And looking into your senior year, you are having this incredible ride. Matter of fact, why don't you tell me about your senior year? Because it was literally a record-breaking year for the school. Yeah, my senior year was 
to this day, one of the greatest years and seasons of my life. I think the team was just all on the same page. The coaches were on the same page. We could trust each other. We knew we had the same goals and we were ready to fight for each other to make sure that we could achieve those. And it was just, I can't even put it to words. It was the greatest year. So let's talk a little bit about some of the records broke because I can't remember all of them, but I think at that time it was maybe the best regular season record, probably the highest ranking that we've ever had. Am I missing anything? That sounds about right to me. (laughs) And so we go into the WCC tournament. You're an all-league player playing on the best team that we've ever had in the history of the school. We're down in Vegas. Tell me what you remember from that game. Well, just at the beginning of the game, you have the whole weekend planned out. You're going to play this game. You're going to take care of business and then be on to the next thing. And so we were really dialed in. We felt ready to go. And then obviously things don't always turn out how you expect it, but we still got the win that day. (laughs) I love it. In true Stockton form, we're talking about the game where you have one of the probably most significant things in your life happen to you. You get injured. We don't talk about that. We talk about the win first and foremost. (laughs) I love it. That's a sign of a Stockton right there. Tell us what happened in that game. Yeah, so I was coming up the sideline kind of on a fast break down the left side of the court, and I was trying to finish through traffic. And I remember like loading, ready to explode. And then before I even knew what was happening, I was just on the floor and in a ton of pain. And I was like, why am I on the floor? This doesn't make any sense. And um, I was in just the most pain I've ever experienced in my life. And I remember thinking, I don't even care how loud I'm yelling, like this hurts and something is absolutely wrong. I I knew right away. How much of it was physical pain versus being scared of suspecting something's not right? I think initially it's just the physical pain. That's it. It almost overwhelms you. And then the longer you sit there, you're like, Oh my goodness. The, the mental piece comes into play and you're just scared and you don't know what's going to happen next or if you can even keep playing. And I definitely hoped that what I thought had happened didn't happen. So you have the best athletic trainer in the nation. Kendall (laughs) runs over to you. What does she do? What does she say? What are the steps that happen after this? Well, the first thing is she just tried to get me to calm down. That was the most important thing. Get me to stop yelling, stop crying, um, and just calm down so we could really evaluate what was happening and what had gone wrong. Then um, she could tell that something was wrong. And so she sent for the, you know, the team doc and Lisa came out as well. And they started doing a little bit of evaluating on my knee. At what point did they tell you, we think this is an ACL tear? Not until I got back into the locker room. Everyone uh, just made sure I was calm and able to get off the floor before we you know, made any type of statements or got fully evaluated in the locker room. So tell me what that's like. You go back, it's your senior year, first round of the conference tournament, and you're thinking, this is not good. How do they break the news to you? How do you take it? Well, I'm sitting on like the training table and um, Dr. Vanderwild is doing, you know, a couple ligament tests and you can kind of just see it in the way he he's reacting on certain things and the movements aren't looking how they're supposed to. And he just said, you know, I think that you did some damage to some of your, the ligaments in your knees. I think that the ACL is, um, is out. 
And, um, but they didn't confirm anything. Obviously we needed to do an MRI and make sure for sure what was exactly going on. But, um, he just told me that I, w- I was done right there. How do you handle it? It was really hard. Um, I think I had just too much, um, going through my mind. First of all, I was like, am I even going to continue to play basketball anymore? That was number one. I'm like, am I, am I done? Was that it? And then, um, gosh, I'm getting emotional. Um, and then, um, I just started thinking about, okay, well, let's, let's be realistic. You know, this is, this is what you love to do. And so, um, then I started thinking, okay, well, what's next and what am I going to have to do, um, to get back and to, to play again. And then once all that, um, emotion kind of finally calmed down. I remember being like, what's the score? Like what's going on outside? Can someone bring me a phone? Like I want to watch the game like, and I want to get back out there. And so once I had a, a moment for myself, I borrowed some crutches and I crutched back out to the bench and saw one of the coolest finishes to a game I've ever seen. So you just find out that you tear your ACL and your college career is done and you take a minute to gather your thoughts and the next thing you know is get back on the floor to support your teammates. That is unbelievable. <laughs> but you also got to see Zykira hit the game-winning shot. That had to have been a huge roller coaster of events. I mean, what was that like, knowing your season's done, but also being so excited for the team? What was going through your head on there? It was so awesome. I actually love seeing the highlight of it because um, Zykira, you know, obviously hits the game winner at the buzzer. And you can see me on the bench. I threw my crutches down and I... I jumped on one foot in the air. I was celebrating. And then you see Kendall, our trainer, like grab me and be like, Laura, what are you doing? Like, please sit down. So that was really awesome. What do you think allowed you to do that? I remember that day I cried, not just that day, but that week I cried a lot. You know, I was just devastated on a lot of different levels. One of the things was the connection that you and I have. And it was kind of eerie because I tore my Achilles tendon my senior year, first round of the conference tournament against St. Mary's exact same thing that you did and I didn't have the ability to emotionally get out back on the court you know I think it was just too heavy of a burden what gave you the strength to be able to do that I'm not sure I just think I felt in that moment that I'm going to have a lot of opportunities to cry about this and I'm going to have all the time in the world to process and handle business when the time comes but in that moment, like I cared about that game a ton and I knew we needed to win. And I just thought maybe me coming back up there would be a nice boost for them and something that they would appreciate. That's just kind of the team we were in general, not so much. Um, you seem to be praising me, but I think that's that anyone on that team would have done that. It is a really special group of ladies that can combine kindness and love for each other with just this gritty toughness too. And I think that's why you broke so many records and go down in the history books as one of the greatest Zeg teams ever, because you have that combination of the two. We talked about how much the fans love you. Obviously, family and friends love you. How do they handle the situation? I know for me, I knew I needed to connect with you, but I also dreaded it because I didn't know what I was supposed to say or do. When something like that happens, how could people be helpful? It's hard, you know, and I think everybody experiences what happens in different ways. But for me, there really was no right words and there really was no wrong words either. So just anyone that reached out, I appreciated it a ton. And just the people that showed up, that was the most important thing for me, whether that was in the hotel room that night or, you know, after surgery coming to visit me, 
those are the moments that I've definitely kept with me and I've appreciated those people more than anything. So whether it was a text message or whether it was a phone call or just showing up to you was just the thought that counts. Totally. Yeah. There's really, like I said, there was no wrong way to go about it. I was just really grateful for everyone who showed love and support for me. And then you have surgery and that's kind of the start of the new beginning. Obviously you have great doctors working with you. Now what's the mindset like? We know you have a long journey ahead. How difficult has this last year been for you? It's been the hardest year as an athlete for me in my whole life. You know, someone who's grown up being active all the time, all of a sudden I was told I can't do this. You cannot do it. So my patience was really tested, but each milestone was really important for me to focus on. And even those milestones were really difficult. For example, they'd be like, okay, now we can get off crutches and now we can start walking. I'm like, great, now we're walking, but now I want to run. And so then I finally get to run and I'm not good at it. And that is really hard too, especially as an athlete um, at a high level, to not be good at something that you've been doing since you were two years old. It's really hard to hear and to try and fight through that. But, you know, I had a ton of support and it took a long time, but now I'm back doing what I do. Tell me about some of the low points, times where you lost your confidence. I mean, was there ever a time when you're like, did the surgery take? Am I doing the right exercises? Why am I still in pain? How come it's swelling up? Did you ever fear that maybe this was not going to work out? Um, you know, not really. I think all the initial doubt and fear that I felt was all at the right at the beginning. And I made sure that I really tried to handle all of that right away and really feel the fear, the pain, all of it. So that when it was time to start moving forward, that I could just do that fully without fear and just be able to work hard and not worry about all of it. So for me, every step that I got to move forward was, was really positive. And I just, I knew that I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. I had people around me who were also just as mindful about my process and wanted me to succeed as much as I did. Tell me about some of the most challenging moments. Were there moments where it was painful? Was there moments where you were trying to take the next step and you didn't have the confidence to do it? I'd love to hear about some of the setbacks or maybe some of the biggest challenges this past year. Well, right off the bat, uh, when I had surgery, my medication didn't take. Apparently, I am allergic to it. And so I just always threw it up and it didn't help with any of the pain. So that was really, really miserable. And I just kind of had to suck it up and just feel it all, which was, which was really hard. But obviously, that got easier. And definitely something that's been really difficult is just trusting my body again, trusting it to do what it's supposed to do, and getting back into playing without having to think about it and just stuff like that. The trust piece is, is really difficult. Tell me about some of the highs. At the time you tear your ACL, it's really hard to believe that something good is going to come out of this in terms of that was your senior year. You don't have another chance to go and, and win an NC2A title. Have there been some silver linings that have occurred this past year? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. I've always felt that. And I remember thinking that right away when I got hurt too. And I just thought, okay, something's going to come out of this. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I know that something good is going to happen. And I think for me, something that I've really been grateful for was just the opportunity I've had to get down to the basics, just the little things. I've had a ton of opportunities to just shoot. 
I haven't been able to be super active the whole time, but I've had just a billion reps in the gym. And so my, my shot is the best it's ever been. That's like a new piece I got to add to my game um, that I didn't really feel a ton of confidence in before. So that's been really great. It's been fun working with you now. And I kind of check in and see how your game's looking. And every time it's the same answer, which is shooting the ball well. (laughs) And I think that's kind of cool because sometimes when we're in the heart of things, we get into our normal training schedule. It's hard maybe to take a step back and really break down the jumper and then just work on those little things. Is your game better now than before you got injured? Yes, absolutely it is. (laughs) Oh, I love hearing that. And now we have some really good news because there really is a light at the end of the tunnel. Tell us what you're doing next year. I will be heading to Germany to play professional basketball, and I couldn't be more excited. That's so awesome. Looking back, and now we get to see the journey, the highs and the lows, but we know this next step is pretty cool. Have you always had a dream of being a professional basketball player? Oh, yeah. It's been my dream since I was a kid. Uh, There used to be a WNBA team in Salt Lake called the Utah Stars, and I always was like, oh, I'm going to play for them. They don't actually exist anymore, but um, I just knew that. Uh, I wanted to be a professional basketball player all my life. And as I grew up, I could see it coming more and more into fruition. And it's been really fun to see all my hard work pay off. Knowing what you know now, would you go back and change the ACL tear if you could? No, absolutely not. Which is funny because I never want it to happen to me again. And I know it was just the worst, but it taught me a lot. For me, I'm a big planner. And so for me, I was like, okay, we're in this tournament. We're going to win. Then we're going to win the next game. Then we're going to go to the NCAA tournament. And then I'm going to start training. Then I'm going to do this. And and then in a second, all my plans had just kind of just crumbled. And so, you know, I've learned that it's okay if your plans don't necessarily go your way. And I mean, my plans absolutely did not go my way. And I'm still getting to do what I love. And I'm still getting to live out my childhood dream. I can't wait to hear about that first game. Yeah, you're going to probably be a little bit anxious, nervous, excited. When's the last time you've taken a whole year off of the game of basketball? I couldn't even tell you, truly. I'm always playing. I can't remember the time I've had a break. Yeah, so suiting up for that first game, playing in front of fans again, is going to be such a cool experience. Mm -hmm. For all of our athletes that have been injured that are struggling with it now, what kind of advice would you give to them? Uh, I would just say enjoy the process. It's not easy and it's not for everybody, but you're going to have to find a little bit of toughness and just try and enjoy each day that you get to do more and more and it's all going to pay off in the end. What advice do you wish you would have got when you first tore your ACL that maybe you've learned throughout the process? I don't know. I'm not sure if I would have accepted a ton of advice in that moment. I, I, you know, was really, really upset about it. And I think that there's really no advice you can get that can help you. And it's just something that you kind of have to navigate on your own and learn and just continue to try and get better. I love that. I think all of us have to learn things through our own experiences. But I think the great thing about things like the podcast or mentorship or friends is that There's a lot of comfort knowing that people have taken the road that you've taken before. And so thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your heart. I know that's got to be difficult reliving that moment. And so thank you so much for just sharing all the intimate details of it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I can't wait to see you tomorrow. We're going to get some work done. Heck yeah. Now that's a wrap on episode 45. 
And I hope you'll join me next week where I interview Mike Lombardi from Whoop. I've been wearing a Whoop band for the last year and I've been so impressed with the technology that I wanted to share how user-friendly, affordable, and powerful it is in optimizing workouts. For about a dollar a day, you can get individualized guidance on workout intensity and how your nutrition and bedtime habits impact your sleep and recovery. And now I have a favor to ask. If you haven't already, it would mean a lot if you'd rate and subscribe to the podcast. I know it's a little inconvenient to take the time, but rating and subscribing helps get this show in front of more athletes and coaches so that we can all improve the way we eat, train, and lead. And we all win if our game is filled with healthy, quality leaders. And to all of you who are committed, we'll earn your ass.